Good morning. If you would please open your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 as we continue a series that we started several weeks ago called Beat the Curve, Moving Upward When Life is Upside Down. Today, church, I want to teach you how to beat the curve with everyday challenges. We may be at an all-time high in regard to everyday challenges in our country. We've got COVID-19, we have riots, we have racial tension, we're being forced to only watch Korean baseball right now. We have lots of struggles, innumerable challenges. How can we daily move upward when life is obviously upside down? Paul is going to give us in Colossians 3 a roadmap, a pathway to victory, that if we will say no to self and yes to Jesus, victory over everyday challenges is available. When we come to Colossians chapter 3, we have to remind ourselves that the doctrinal section of Colossians is over. And now Paul will tell us how to practically live out the heavenly life while on earth. He says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Paul begins in verse 5 with a vivid imagery. Pointedly, mortify or treat as dead every part of yourself that is earthly. Paul says that any part of you that is keeping you from following God has to go. Jesus says it like this in the greatest sermon ever given in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better that a part of your body goes to hell than literally all of your body. He also says in verse 30, if your right arm is causing you to sin, cut it off. You see here the seriousness of sin to our Savior. He figuratively is reminding us of, hey, if there is something or anything that is keeping you from following the Lord, remove it in your life. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13, put to death the deeds of your body and live. Believers at salvation die positionally with Christ who pays the complete penalty of their sin. The power of sin is removed in our lives, but the potential of sin is still possible. Paul reminds us in Colossians 3 that we are truly changed and always changing as we become more and more like Christ. And Paul commands us to once and for all, to put to death, to utterly slay our sin in our lives and pursue Jesus Christ. And he gives two reasons in verses 6 and 7. In verse 6, he says, why? Because the wrath of God is coming. Now, the wrath of God is mentioned 600 separate times in the Old Testament, 25 times in the New Testament. It can be translated here in Colossians 3 as disaster. And that's exactly what sin brings every single time. Sin brings disaster from the master. There may be some temporary joy. There may be some, some things that, well, this seemed like a good idea. It's not. Have nothing to do with it. Why? Because disaster is coming. Wrath is God's unwavering response and judgment towards sin in light of his holiness. We have to remind ourselves that literally the moment you and I begin to walk outside God's will and God's way, get outside of God's path, warning, there is danger for your life. So Paul says, put to death, mortify every part of yourself that is not following God right now. 
because God's wrath is coming. Number two, he says that through Jesus, God grants believers a new life that demands a new way of living. Look at verse 7. He says, when you were living in them. Notice the past tense. Believers before salvation pursued things in opposition to God's word and way. But now we are new people and are to biblically think and respond accordingly with the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. A Christ-like life happens when we think like Christ. So what does it look like to think like Christ and thus live like Christ? And Paul is specifically in verses 8 and 9 and 12 through 14 is going to provide us a pathway of victory. No to self and yes to Jesus. Look at verse 8. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. He even says in verse 9, and do not lie to one another. Paul says that we are to take off, put away completely once and for all. And he lists six specific things in verses 8 and 9. He says anger and wrath. Now these two words are virtually synonymous. The word anger here means smoldering hostility. It speaks of a deep-seated, resentful, long-lasting bitterness, and it is utterly forbidden in the Christian life. The word wrath is of a word that can mean rage. It speaks of a sudden outburst of anger, which is quickly ignited in our flesh from a deep-seated ill will. The Greeks historically used wrath to describe a sudden fire in a straw that would burn quickly and then disappear. Now, I will say that Paul doesn't say that we are to set aside a righteous anger that can come from the Lord. Let me give you an example of this. Paul says to put away anger, not righteous anger. Remember Red in Angry Birds? So Red is a character that, you know, is, is, is a little quirky, a little insecure, but but Red responds to a situation when others in his village were wronged. Red was a part of a, a group of birds that were overtaken by these huge, huge green pigs who, who wanted their eggs, who would ultimately become beautiful chicks. And so Red, in response to that, goes and saves the day and brings back these eggs. And the culture begins and continues to thrive. Red is responding to a situation when others are wrong. You and I in Christ are to do the same. You and I, when we see things that are wrong or evil, we are to diligently stand for God's favor and justice. In light of things that's going on in our country the past two weeks, we are to beg God for repentance. We're to beg God for justice to the fullest extent of the law. We are also to adamantly, though, be against all sorts of evil. And so, yes, peaceful protests are perfectly acceptable. But when they become violent, when they begin to destroy property to end life, we're to stand for those things as well. Paul isn't speaking here about a righteous anger. He's speaking here of a persistent anger, a smoldering hostility, more like the Hulk. You see, the, the Hulk is a figure who accepts anger. He stays angry. He does not repress his rage, rather he channels it in spirals out of control. And that's exactly what anger can do to you. Anger in you is danger 
to you. Anger reveals a subtle or direct self-worship. A focus on the need to control every aspect of your life, to have things your way, not God's way. Anger really speaks to a lack of contentment and satisfaction ultimately in God's control of your life. And so that's why Paul says, put it off. Have nothing to do with it once and for all, both anger and wrath. He also says, look, we got to get rid of malice. This word here for malice is the same word where we get malignancy in regard to cancer. It speaks of wickedness or badness or evil in its broadest sense. Malice describes a cruel nature, a vicious disposition that intends to harm or not want the best for others. As Christians, we are to intentionally place others above ourselves. And so Paul says, look, have nothing to do with malice, wanting to harm or not want the best for others. He also says that we're to put away slander. Slander is where we get our word blasphemy. It speaks here of shameful speaking, negative speech about someone else. A believer's speech should not be marred by insults or rude remarks or ill will towards others. And biblically, really, from, from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the Bible at the end of the New Testament, if you can control your tongue, the Bible says, you can control anything. If you can take these deep-seated emotions that begin in the inner essence of who you are in your heart and begin to flow and rage to your mind, if you can allow the Spirit to have control of your mind and thus control your tongue, you can control anything in life. Paul says, put away slander. He also says, put away obscene talk from your mouth. Literally, foul mouth abuse. Offensive talk or filthy language reveals a dirty heart, and it's forbidden by God of his people. For a filthy mouth reveals a muddled or messy mind. Paul says, put away those things. Put away obscene talk, and do not, verse 9, lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Emphatically, stop lying to each other. Why? Because every lie is wanting someone to think something about you is true that is not true. That is why in Exodus chapter 20, when God began to reveal and give his law to his people, one of the key laws in that revelation is Exodus 20 verse 16, and do not bear false witness. Believers are commanded to pursue and obey truth as the way of life. And lies are a means to preserve something that is not true. And that's why in our household, of all of the sins that we are exposed to daily as a family, lying receives the harshest judgment, the, the quickest reaction because lying is the gateway to all other sins. And little sins turn into big sins. And that is why Paul says, put these things off. Have nothing to do with them. There was something that you used to do as a part of your 
old self, your old practices. Take them away. Put them off completely. For the sins listed in verses 5 and 8 of Colossians 3 are in no way to be a part of a believer's life. I remember when I was in high school and we were playing baseball and Man, the Lord really began to bless our team, and we were really, 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 really good. And in fact, we were scoring about 12 to 13 runs a game at the end of the season. We just got hot right at the right time. And so I was kind of growing in my theology at the time and was very, very superstitious as a baseball player. So I would put on my batting gloves the same way to bat every single time. I would do the same routine, getting into the dugout and out of the dugout. And we would also, as a team collectively, when we got hot, we wouldn't wash our socks. And so we stayed hot for an entire month. So it was so bad, the smell was, that we weren't allowed to go into our locker room because it was so bad. We kept the bus windows down when we traveled game to game. Our school board thought about changing our mascot's name from the Blanchard Lions to the Blanchard Skunks. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. And so we, we finished the end of the year and we're this close to playing in the state championship game. And I'll never forget, we come home that night and man, my heart is just, I'm exhausted and I'm wearied and I'm sad at how it ended. And right before I went to walk in, my mom met me on the front porch and said, nope, take those socks and throw them away. That's exactly Paul's point in Colossians 3 verse 9. Put them away completely. Paul commands us, just as we would get rid of filthy clothes, we are to not amend our old self, but to rid ourselves of the old self completely, once and for all, and behave accordingly with our new life in Christ. Biblically, this is seen through baptism. In fact, baptism in the New Testament, Christians, after they were baptized, would take off their old clothes after their baptism and would receive a white robe to symbolize that they were putting away, they were getting rid of their old selves as drastic as if it never existed. The world is full of jealousy, social hatred, racism, prejudice, and real everyday challenges. Life change happens when I, in my present actions toward others, trust Christ's past actions for me, put off completely, put away forever the old self. Say no to self and yes to Jesus. If these things were to put off, Paul says also there's some things that we are to put on. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul says in verse 12, put on then emphatically put them on and keep putting them on as God's chosen ones. These are exalted titles throughout the Bible. 
These words were used to describe Israel in the Old Testament and Christ's church in the New Testament. God's grace and love and forgiveness and mercy is endlessly given to those chosen by God and depends not upon our goodness, but on his grace. Not on our loveliness, but his unending love towards us. And those who have accepted, those who have been chosen and loved by God through Jesus, choose to live like Jesus by putting off those six things we mentioned previously in verse 8 and 9. And now putting on these things in verses 12 through 14. Paul says to put on compassionate hearts. Literally bowels of mercy or heartfelt sympathy. To the Hebrews, the heart was the seat of all responsibility and the deepest level of one's being. Compassion is the complete opposite of indifference. Paul uses compassion to figuratively speak of someone who is openly sympathetic to the needs of others in the most authentic way. We are to care because God cares. Put on compassionate hearts. Also, he says, put on kindness. Kindness has the same root word for usefulness in the New Testament. It speaks of the sweetness of one's disposition. Kindness is found only in Paul's writings and speaks here of a gracious attitude toward others. In fact, I'll remind you, Paul says in Romans 2.4 that it is the goodness of God, the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Disciples imitate God's kindness when they are generous and benevolent to others while expecting nothing in return. Earlier this week, I had the privilege of getting some of the Lord's chicken there at Chick-fil-A. And you and I know that every time you go to Chick-fil-A, there's a couple of things that are just a given. One, there's going to be a line in the drive-thru from here to Coweta. On the, the other end, you're, you're going to be greeted with a smile and you're going to, in a, a very quick, concise, and efficient manner, you're going to be given your food. And so and I, I got my order and, and the guy handed me my order and he said, hey, my pleasure. I said, hey, you know, is there any way that instead of, you know, this size, can I get a large water? He said, oh, yeah, sure, my pleasure. And, and so Nanny, he, he gave, me my, gave me my drink. Thank you, my pleasure. And so I said, well, hey, can I get another straw? And he said, Psh, of course, my pleasure. And so then I looked at my bag and said, man, is it okay if I have another packet of mayo? Mayo, of course, my pleasure. And, and so then I kind of look at him and say, hey, I just want to thank you again for, for all you're doing. And I said, let me guess, my pleasure, right? <laughs> Church, it should be our pleasure to show God's kindness to others while expecting nothing in return. Paul says, put on kindness. Kessler says, put on humility. Did you realize that there is no word in classical Greek for humility? In fact, humility only appears seven times in the entire New Testament. Humility was despised quality in the ancient world because it speaks of an absence of self-exaltation. Humility is thinking of others more than yourself. And humility in the New Testament is distinctly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. For we are never more like Jesus when we are loving and serving and placing others' needs above ourselves and expecting nothing in return. Paul says, put on humility. Council says, put on meekness. 
Now, meekness is not weakness, but power under control. Meekness describes someone who is self-controlled because they are God-controlled. Meekness is someone who displays spirit-empowered gentleness, strength under control, and a teachable spirit toward God. The two primary characters in the Bible are Moses in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. Did you realize that both Moses and Jesus are classified in the Bible as meek and gentle? Moses in Numbers 12, 3, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Paul says we are to put on meekness. We're also to put on patience, he says. Now, patience is the first quality of God mentioned in the Bible. And it speaks of God's graciousness to all people. Here, patience speaks of the ability to bear injustice from people. Patience, then, is resting in the truth that God's way is better than our way. There's nothing easy about patience. It is a gift from the Lord. It's something that we have to remind ourselves we have to put on daily, hourly, as we are bearing with one another, Paul says in verse 13. We are enduring. We are holding forth. Pointedly, we are having and enduring long suffering toward aggravating people. Believers are to display the gospel amongst each other by bearing with one another as a result of Christ's patience and forgiveness and love toward us. I mean, haven't there been so many instances in our lives where God has so graciously been patient with us? <laughs> We're to mirror and model that same patience with others. Paul says, put it on. He also says, put on forgiveness. Forgiving each other, he says in verse 13. Did you realize that biblically there are 75 different word pictures for forgiveness in the Bible? We are to continually show favor. We are to continually pardon or turn loose those grievances against us. Forgiveness then is not a feeling, but a choice to trust and obey God by setting aside our selfishness and forgiving others. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, Paul says in verse 13. The paradigm of forgiveness in the life of a believer is Jesus. You will never forgive anyone more than Jesus has already forgiven you. Put on forgiveness, Paul says. Finally, he says in verse 14, and above all these put on love. Did you realize that Paul spoke of love more than any New Testament writer? He mentions it 136 separate times in all 13 of his letters in the New Testament. Love is the basis for the Christian life, and God is the source of all love. Jesus is the exclamation point of God's love in your life. God doesn't fall in and out of love with you. He has always loved you and will always love you. You can't contain God's love, stop God's love, or lose God's love. Therefore, we are to intentionally put on as God's beloved His selfless, sacrificial love and display His love toward others. 
Love empowers compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness. And God's love through Jesus has no end. Just a beginning. We may be at an all-time high in regard to everyday challenges in our country. And if we're going to make a lasting difference, we have to begin living and loving differently. Church, let's beat the curve with everyday challenges. When we remind ourselves that we're to put off the old self, we're to say no to self, and we're to put on once and for all the new self, we are to say yes to Jesus.